to me, it doesn't sound like a commitment issue. It sounds like setting boundaries because we're still human at the end of the day. Even if you have chosen any lifestyle you've chosen, we all have a limitation around our ability and capabilities and how much we can balance in life. And it just sounds like you're aware enough to know, hey, you know, I have $100. This is the only, this is all I can spend it on. Like, I just don't have more than this $100. And, um, you know, there's this great monk um, named Dandapani, and he talks about that, about like, where are you allotting your energy and where are you spending your energy? If your energy is $100, where are you spending it? Just sounds like you're more aware that's like, Oh, I'm more, I value, maybe I have like $5 of this $100 left and I really value where I'm going to put that $5. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. Whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you. And we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, I am not Jace. You're not. Yeah, it turns out I'm not. I've tried. I've tried for so many years to be to be him. Yeah. Yeah, Jace, unfortunately, is on the couch sick right now. So we're taking over just to record this little intro. So here I am uh, doing Jace's job. Let me try again. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we are doing a crossover episode with Natasha Shondell of the Kinda Dating Podcast. Natasha is a producer, creative executive, full-time writer, actress, and podcaster. She is also the vice chair of the South Asian Writers Committee, which is a part of the Writers Guild of America. Uh, So Natasha's podcast, Kind of Dating, explores the topic of commitment and commitment phobia. She primarily speaks from a traditional dating, monogamous lens. So we thought that it would be interesting to have a conversation exploring how commitment and fear of commitment can show up in both non-monogamous and monogamous relationships. Natasha actually interviewed me about my book way back in 2017. So it was really nice to reconnect with her and to reconnect with all three of us as well. Uh, Because this is a collab episode, Natasha also interviews us about our own journeys into non-monogamy. And if you have not gotten a copy of our book, Multiamory, Essential Tools for Modern Relationships, please go check out multiamory.com slash book. And with that, we're going to go to the episode. Friends, we did it. Yeah, we're we all coordinated. Here together. We coordinated here. four people's schedules to create a podcast. A miracle <laughs> in this day and age. I love it. And uh, two of you guys are new to me, but Dedeker, I know you from back in the day. I'm very curious about your guys' story because, like I said, I know Dedeker, but I don't know Jason Emily in that capacity. You guys obviously host a podcast called Multi Amory. I feel like I know what's happening, but I would lo- <laughs> love for you guys to like explain your relationship, friendship, how you guys met. So Jason and I were actually in a monogamous relationship from 2011 on for a while. And, you know, after a bit of time living a sort of normal monogamous life of moving in together and having cats and 
buying a TV, things like that. We we realized, you know, something was kind of missing. We were interested in maybe seeing other people, but we still really cared about each other. We still wanted to continue the relationship with one another. Jace actually was the one who started kind of doing some research and actually started dating a person who was non-monogamous and said, hey, why don't we try this thing called non-monogamy? And so we began that journey together. And after a little while, I met a person on OkCupid who happened to be dating Dedeker. And so the four of us became a quad for a little while. So four people sort of in a relationship together. Jay Sedeker and I were in a triad after that for a bit. And then, yeah, during that time, the the podcast was born. But our relationship has changed a lot since then. The three of us are no longer in a relationship together. I'm actually back in a monogamous relationship with a different person, and Jason Dedeker have remained polyamorous since then. Wow, that's like an amazing journey. I mean, I feel like there was a lot of communication involved in that. There was, Uh, and communication (laughs) breakdowns, for sure. But yes, I mean, for sure, there was a ton of communication needed in order to continue, I think, to where we are today and, and keep the friendship going as well. Yeah, it's a miracle to me when I look back on it, because I think running a podcast already is hard. Running a podcast with multiple people, even harder. Running a podcast with multiple people that you're in a relationship, even harder. Running a podcast with multiple people where the relationship is changing and there's breakups happening, multiple multiple overlapping breakups happening, the hardest Right. You know, when I look back on it, I'm amazed because I think that that could have been such an easy jumping off point, bailing out point for any of us, for all of us. And I don't know what it was if we were all just stubborn or just hate walking away from projects or things like that. But we just kept going. I mean, we were still showing up to record every single week, even in the midst of really deep, intense relationship talks happening between multiple people and people, you know, even outside of our podcast and things like that. And it does help that for 10 years, every single week we've been talking about like communication research and relationship research. That does help. It could have been different if we were recording a podcast on a completely different subject. But yeah, something that we often say is like now our relationship is at this point where ironically it feels closer and better and stronger and more intimate than it, than it was when we were all like romantically and sexually involved. Yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, Jace, I'm curious. I have two questions. I'm sorry. I'm going to ask like tons of like <laughs> questions. I'm very curious about how all this worked out. But um, Jace, like for you and you, you and Emily were in the the monogamous relationship and you were both kind of feeling like, eh, maybe we want more. But you were the one who initiated the the non-monogamy aspect of it. So was that something you had a discussion first about and then pursued it or like were, you know, took that step and then talked to her? Were you scared? How did you bring that up? Because I feel like I'm sure a lot of people wonder how to yeah. approach that topic. Yes. No, that's that's a great question and something I do want to clarify from the way that story was told just now today. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Is that, uh, that from our experience, you know, working with lots and lots of people, talking to lots of listeners of the show, uh, starting ethical non-monogamy or consensual non-monogamy, like polyamory, from an affair or cheating or something like that first basically never works. Like 99.9999999% of the time that will not work because it requires a lot of trust and honesty and communication. And if you start from a place of having broken a lot of that trust and not having that honesty, it's 
it's just really hard to build that foundation you need for that. So I do want to clarify that that's not what Emily meant by me researching. Definitely. No, no, no. I meant actual true research in the sense yeah. of you read some books and you listened yeah. to some podcasts and you did start dating someone who was like, I know about this thing. And so yeah, you so had more It's not like researching your dating opportunities. No. Right. <laughs> we broke up for a hot second and then realized actually, hey, we are still interested in each other. That's the way that it worked was more of a, we want something more. But at the time, we didn't know that polyamory was an option. Like neither of us had even heard of it at mm. the time, right? Because this was back in, what, 2013, probably when we started talking about this. Correct. Yeah. Uh, neither of us had ever heard that term before. So we had no idea that was an option. So it was kind of this like, well, we live together and we still get along really well. It's not like there's anything wrong here, but... It's like, I don't, I kind of want to explore other things. I don't know. And Emily was actually the one who came to me first with that. And I was like, okay, rather than us just like throwing everything out and breaking up, why don't we take some time and, you know, we'll take a break for a little while and figure that out. And I think during that, I ended up going on like one date and came home from that. And Emily and I were both like, oh my God, now I'm so into you. Like it, it yeah. like reignited <laughs> something for us. For sure. So we're like huh, something's here. So we're like, why don't we try an open relationship? Because that's a thing we'd heard of before. We're like, let's see what that is. I don't know. And in talking to people about it, um, actually, my first book recommendation was from my brother, of all people, who's in a monogamous relationship and has been since then. Uh, but he's like, you know, my fiance or wife or whoever she was at the time, it's like when she was in college, she took a sociology course and read this book, Sex at Dawn. That sounds relevant to what you're talking about. You should go check that out. I never knew and that then, came from your brother. Yeah, that's I mean, so yeah, funny. That's impressive. It's ironic now. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that kind of led down that path of the research Emily was talking about. So that's when we figured out, oh, there are people doing this and have been doing it for a long time, actually, and have given thought to how do you do this in a way that's healthy? And it's not just the thing you do when your relationship's doomed and you're just like trying to keep it on life support or something, which I think is how most of us are taught to think of open relationships. That that's, it's kind of like the thing that happens before the end or when you're not into each other anymore or something like that. Uh, and just kind of seeing, oh, that's not the case. There is this whole other world of this other way to do it. And then I think began the many, many years long process of then unlearning all the baggage that our upbringings in society teach us about relationships that make it difficult to do non-monogamy well because we've been taught all this stuff about, you know, that jealousy is good and that it means love and that if someone doesn't only want to be with you, it means they don't really love you and like all these things to unpack. I think that's the the long part of the story is all that unlearning. And that's what inspired us to make the podcast to help create some resources for people going through that as well. Because at the time, there was only one other podcast about non-monogamy, about polyamory that had been running for several years, and they're, they're actually no longer running that show. Uh, but even at the time, they were older than us. And so we're like, we want something you know for younger people and mm -hmm. to be hip and cool, which we thought we were at the time. And so that's kind of how we ended up making the podcast in the first place. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's an interesting story. And then and then Emily, I'm curious because you talked about like the breakup aspect, which I think is also very, I'm sorry to use the word fascinating, 
but I will. No, by all means. Just that, like, how you guys navigate that, where, you know, especially for you, it's like you went through, you were monogamous and went through to non-monogamy and then back to monogamy. And what is that breakup process like? And how did do you think your your listeners felt that? Like, it, I assume it must be, you know, here's because this is going to sound dumb, but I'm just trying to act very layman in my understanding of this. But people would just assume if you are ethically non-monogamous, you are open, there's got to be some version of like less feelings attached. You know, it's got to be like you're okay with like one person goes, here's another. But that's not obviously mm. what it is. You're in real relationships with multiple people. So can you kind of describe that breakup process? And is it the same yeah. as in a regular kind of monogamous relationship? In non-monogamy, it's very possible and very celebrated that you can transition from a type of relationship being potentially really romantic and very sexual and looking a certain way and transition it into being something else and looking a different way. And that that's okay. And that that's something that a lot of people in non-monogamy do. And I think that in a lot of monogamous relationships, people tend to think of it as we're broken up, we're done, that's it. We're not going to be seeing this person anymore. They're dead to me, basically. And that's it. And I really appreciate the fact that you can stay friends with an ex, you can have a business with an ex, you can potentially co-parent well and with respect and admiration and love for another person or a variety of other things. Like they become, they transcend that label of just one thing mm. in your life. And I think that that's something that these two people have very much done for me. I mean, yes, breakups are hard regardless, of course. And it was. Um, but I think at the same time, we had a lot of tools at our disposal to do it well and to continue to communicate as much and as well as we possibly could. And that, you know, has continued over the course of our relationship. But but sure, our, our listeners heard that and I think that they felt it. But our show really isn't about our relationship and it isn't about the relationships that we're in. Those do come up for sure. But it is more about let's talk about things that are occurring in our lives to a degree, but use that as a jumping off point for, well, now I want to talk about this bigger overarching theme or this this concept and do some research on it and try to figure out like the best way to communicate in this particular situation, for instance. And I think you did highlight a common misconception which is that sense of like, oh, whatever you break up, you got another one or yeah. two other ones or things like that, right? And it's a bit of a mix because I will say, having now gone through several non-monogamous breakups where, you know, one relationship ends while I have other relationships that are still going on. Yeah, you know, having other relationships means that there are some costs of a breakup that are a little bit lowered, right? So as in, I know I have someone to turn to to cuddle me and hold me while I'm crying my eyes out about the loss of this relationship. I have confirmation from someone that I'm still sexy and attractive and desirable and someone who's worthy of being in relationship with, right? Instead of just being by myself and telling myself all those thoughts and not necessarily having anything to contradict that. And it, it still freaking hurts, 
you know, the same way that if you lose a friend, it doesn't hurt any less because you have multiple other friends to turn mm. to. If you have a falling out with a family member, it doesn't hurt any less just because you have other family members to turn to. And there's also an added layer of complication. And this is a question that we get all the time. And this is something I have to work with my clients on all the time. Is that sort of weird thing of how do I support a romantic partner who's going through a breakup with someone else, especially if it's a messy breakup? Or how much of my processing of my breakup is appropriate to bring to a romantic partner or not? You know, So it definitely adds these levels of intricacy that we don't necessarily have social scripts for. And so with many things in non-monogamy, the beauty of not having a social script means that you can make things up, right? You can create things that work for you, that are customized to your situation, customized to the people involved. And then also it can be scary and disorienting because I, I don't have a script to follow. Yeah, no, really good points. It's, uh, I mean, do you guys feel that, you know, talking about misconceptions and myths that have you guys gotten these kinds of questions where it's like, is it, are you guys just, do you guys just have commitment issues? <laughs> you know, is, oh, well, so, I'm so glad to finally the, get to the commitment issues portion of the conversation. Yeah, because yeah, now we get to ask you a lot of questions. Oh, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do come across that misconception. I think that it comes up less now than it did when we started the show. I think largely because polyamory and just various forms of consensual non-monogamy have become a little more present in the world. Like people are more aware more accepted. of it. Yeah, people are talking about it a lot more than they were when we started the show. There's now a lot of podcasts about it, and there weren't when we started our show. And so that's been really cool to see that change. And I think that some of those kind of really naive assumptions like that don't come up as much anymore. They still do, though, just not as frequently as they used to. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, rem I remember when I first was talking to my one of my best friends about this and he's you know monogamous and married and i was doing this polyamory thing and that question of well but what about commitment what what about commitment and and it led to this really interesting conversation of when we say commitment you know what do we mean like what do we mean by that even mm. and when we talk about being a commitment phobe the same thing of like well what what do you mean by that what are you afraid of and i think that we use this term commitment to cover a big wide range of things, right? Like does commitment mean staying with someone who's abusive just because you said that you would? Like I could see a lot of people, you know, especially in the very conservative Christian camps being like, yes, yeah. that is commitment. That yeah, yes, you're stuck. You, you got, you, you have no escape. Yep. Right. I mean, they probably wouldn't say it like that. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. right. Then on the other hand, it's that like, oh, as soon as it gets difficult, peace out, see you later, right? Like as soon as you have a bad day or you lose your job or you're sick and I'm like, I do not want to deal with this. I just want to do my own thing and be self-absorbed. Mm -hmm. That's shitty. And I think most of us would agree that's not good commitment. And so I think all those same things apply in non-monogamy as well. I think that when we think about what commitment really means, the whole not loving anyone else or not sleeping with anyone else is actually like a relatively small piece of it, even for monogamous people, right? Like, sure, maybe that's a struggle for some people. <laughs> maybe that sucks. Yeah. But when I think about like the type of commitment that's like that 
beautiful, powerful thing of like, I'm, I'm here for you when you're struggling and when you're suffering and know that you're here for me and that we evolve over time with each other. And as we change, we grow alongside each other. Like none of that is dependent upon being only with that one person sexually, right? And if we think about um, healthy monogamous relationships, having emotionally fulfilling relationships outside of that is actually just a really good, healthy part of monogamous relationships in general. And there's tons of research to back that up. You know, if, if you think that monogamy means I can't have any other friends and I don't talk to my family as much anymore, that's not a recipe for a healthy relationship, right? So yeah, that's, that's still commitment, having these loving, nurturing relationships with your friends and your family. So there's my very long answer to, to what we talk about a lot with that. Well, and I want to see how that compares with your experience, Natasha, because, you know, you identify as this recovering commitment phobe, and now you are in a committed relationship. And I want to tie it into your podcast. Like, how has exploring this topic broadly via your podcast influenced your own journey here? I mean, tremendously, of course. I, uh, I, I only started the podcast after I felt like I was coming out of that commitment phobia stage of my life. But um, you know, I was a probably like a hardcore relationship girl. I was, you know, in a four year relationship through high school, college, then a t like a two and a half year relationship. Then I got in uh, in an abusive relationship. And um, and after that, he had cheated on me with like, I don't know, like eight, nine people that we could count. I don't even know. And when I came out of it, I was like, oh, can't beat him. Join him. So I like went the opposite sure. way. And, oh, so you but, weren't always a commitment phobe. You, no, you, it was, no, okay, no. But here's it. the thing: even even when I was like, I was in those relationships, and I'll say this: this is what this is where I see commitment phobia in a different way than most people do. Where when I came out of that phase with that abusive relationship, and I went the other way, I didn't cheat on anybody. I've never cheated on anybody in my life, but I would literally on day one tell people like, I don't want to be in a relationship. And sure. and then the people I did end up in kind of like extended periods of like dating with, you know, they were people that were really wrong for me. And I was mm. very like and I still am. Sex doesn't mean the same thing to me that it does to other people. Like, I don't feel like I ever catch feelings from sex. I catch feelings if I actually like you and I want to open up to you and actually, you know, but sex isn't that aspect for me. So I just really came out and I realized like I would I would date these guys like like my friends would just laugh they were like oh who's calling today like London Vancouver you know Toronto <laughs> like I was just dating guys in different cities one was in Philly one was wherever and even the people that were in my city that I was hanging out with or dating they had clear issues you know and there came a point where I had to ask myself and it's the same thing I ask everybody else like I'm like are you smart or are you dumb and most people will say they're smart. I'm like, so if you're smart, you know better. If you're dumb, you can hmm. say, you know, all right, I didn't know any better. But the truth is, I knew what I was doing. I knew that dating those people would never lead to anything. And that was hmm. my way of of kind of keeping everybody at arm's length, being free, because that was that's like a core sort of the thing I've worked on a lot in therapy is like, I really need to feel free grew up in a very conservative home that was always like I felt trapped in there uh, as an Indian girl, like you're not allowed to do anything. 
So for me, there's a concept of like freedom that was attached. So this way I was in something, but not in something. Mm. And that felt, it, it took me a long time to realize like, oh, commitment phobia. Like that's me saying like, I don't actually want this, but I wanted it. What sure. changed for me is I have admittedly had a lot of sex and there was a point that I was hooking up with somebody and I literally like looked at like a fake watch on my hand and I was like, really, I think I want to go. And <laughs> and he was like, no, you should stay. And I was like, Wait. and it was like 11 o'clock and <laughs> uh, and I knew what I was doing. And he let me go, of course, and didn't, you know, fight it too much. He knew what I was. I just need to get out. And I got out and I sat in a car and I cried. Cause like mm. that just didn't fulfill me anymore. It wasn't even like the, it wasn't like the sex was bad or I felt like something. I just literally didn't feel fulfilled. And I was like, ah, oh, shit, I think I want more. And that's mm. like what changed in my life where I was like, oh, I think I, I, you know, have had my fun and I did my thing. And now like, I actually think I want to meet somebody and, and grow with them. And it didn't happen overnight. It took many years. Like I've done this podcast for six years and um, and, you know, I, I met my boyfriend three years ago, right before the pandemic. And I neither of us thought that that was going to be the relationship. Like we never thought that was going to be the one. We were just putting one foot in front of the in front of the other. And now it's like it, it is what it is. And I'm I'm very happy and I don't feel that same urge that I used to feel. But it's also somebody who lets me be free and mm -hmm. I let him be free. And we're very independent and and we're very like, hey, listen, if this tomorrow doesn't make us happy, we're going to leave. Um, and I think those are all the kind of how you guys talk about those tools and lessons you learn from doing this podcast and all the research we put in is I used to feel like a relationship was me being trapped. Now I realize I have a choice to get out and that's yeah. up to me. And that changed a lot in my head where I was like, oh, I actually have power in this. It's not stuff happening to me. When I did that and I realized like even when I break up with somebody and a relationship ends, it feels terrible. But when I finally realized like, oh, I'll, I'll be OK, I felt a lot like more free to be able to explore people in an authentic way and and give of myself and and know like, oh, I'll, I'll be fine. Like if you reciprocate, great. If you don't reciprocate, cool. <laughs> so like I just did, you know, um, that was sort of my journey in that commitment phobia phase. I, I love that. So well said. I mean, I, I think it really speaks to something that's often frustrated me looking at the traditional dating game is I, I do think we receive this message that, sure, you can be in a relationship and you can get access to kindness, intimacy, safety, relationship security, but at the cost of you're not free, right? You're trapped at this at this cost. And if you don't want to pay that cost, if you want to be free, then you need to sacrifice access to kindness, intimacy, security, all those things. And I, and I do feel like it sets people up to this track of, okay, either I need to be on the soulmate track or I need to be on the like unfulfilling fuck buddy track. And there's nothing in between. And yeah, to realize like, I think that there's truth on both sides where, oh no, I can be in a committed monogamous relationship and feel that sense of there is freedom and there is autonomy and there's respect for who I am as a human being independent of my partner. And I also really 
what my wish for people is people who want to be on the casual fuck buddy, just kind of exploring track, even if they're interested in monogamy to feel like, no, I, I still deserve access to kindness, respect, communication, safety from someone, even if it is just casual and quote unquote, non, not committed. hundred percent. I think it's such a good point because the early stages of my podcast, I think people will hear those kinds of stories where I used to call them like flexes. It was like flexible relationships, you know, they mm. were they were people that we both probably knew on both sides. It wasn't going to amount to anything, but it was super respectful and super fun. And some of them, like I met their families. It's just that and I don't even remember like really seeing somebody and seeing somebody else at the same time. We weren't in a relationship. It was just like date. Like that's why we call it kind of dating. Right. It's like you're kind of dating. Everybody says I'm kind of dating somebody. <laughs> um, and and. It was kind of like that for me. Um, and I very much agree with you. When I was younger, I didn't know that difference. And I thought, if you are going to just hang out with somebody casually, kind of a little bitchy to each other. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're not giving mm -hmm. enough. And then I realized as I grew older, I was like, oh, no, I can just be respectful. But we've already put each other in sort of a category. I hate to say that. But, you know, I'm like, I know this isn't going to be anything. But... I can value our time together and you as a human and be respectful. And so those relationships never ended as poorly as they did when I was younger. They just, we knew it wasn't going to work out. And I was like, all right. And then later I could like, you know, if I actually cared about somebody, want to go even further. It, it's just really interesting hearing you talk about this because it's making me think about how a lot of us are brought up with this kind of social guilt about having casual relationships right? That all the stigma about it, it's like, oh, it's not fulfilling, or you're not actually being nice to these people, or you're somehow taking advantage of them. Or and I think we especially get those messages as people raised as men of that, like, oh, if you're doing that, you're a bad person, that kind of stuff. And so I think on the other side, the other thing that can happen is it's like, oh, I'm having sex with this person and I like it. I should try to start a relationship with this person because that's how I can validate myself as a good person. And we can get into relationships that are not not great matches. Maybe they're not terrible, but they're just not great because we feel like we should. It's like sort of the flip side of what you were saying of like, we're kind of a little shitty to each other because we feel like we can't be anything other than that. It's like that social pressure on either side is such a weird thing causing us to try to make a relationship something that it doesn't need to be or that it we feel like it can't be. I feel like the, the extension of that now for me is uh, marriage because I don't believe in the institution, but I believe in a monogamous relationship. But saying I don't believe in marriage, everybody's like, oh, so you just want to you you want to be with everybody. I'm like, what are you talking mm. about? I'm like, I'm with this guy. It's like, not one or the other. Is, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. But we're basically married. We live together. I'm, I'm on his insurance. I'm like, come on, man. Like, what what <laughs> right. more do you want? But I also would rather like I'm Indian. I'm always doing math. I would rather spend that money on like a down payment of a house than a stupid wedding. Like I just mm -hmm. I don't think those things are. But people don't get those things. And that's that that kind of, you know, what you were saying, Jace, but on the on the next level, like, OK, now yeah. before it's like, well, I got to be in a relationship. Now it's like, well, now we got to be married. hundred percent. Listening to your story, I did wonder if it was kind of a protection of yourself from that abusive relationship, which was your monogamous long term relationship that to a degree your psyche and your brain and everything was basically telling you let's not do this because there is the potential for that 
abuse again if you were to get into something long term. Hundred percent. Yeah, and I I mean you were you were healing during that time, which is really important. And I think great to experience something that you didn't have for a really long period of time. And and you keep coming back to that freedom aspect. And if you felt like I'm going to get back into a situation where I'm not going to be free and I may be abused, I mean, that's huge. Yeah, that relationship was it was physically abusive and mentally and emotionally. So it was like all of them. And definitely I had a lot of trauma after. And that was the reason I was like, oh, no, I don't ever want to get close to anybody again in that way. So the development was a lot of, um, you know, first that emotional stuntedness. Then there was, you know, the physical aspect was easy. It was like, oh, cool. I'll just have sex. Now get the fuck out of my house. Like, do not, you know, don't stay here. I didn't again, because you feel trapped when you're in an abusive thing um, that everything then you just want the opposite of. And like Dedeker was saying, it's not one extreme or the other. Thank God for therapy, because at some point I finally found that middle ground where I can exist and and then eventually give more to somebody I I wanted to give more to. Do you guys think, though, that like commitment issues kind of differ in monogamous versus non-monogamous relationships? Like, have you guys ever experienced people in, in your lifestyle that have <laughs> commitment issues? Or is it just like, can't be, you are, you're, you're already open. Oh, sure. I mean, I can speak from my own personal experience. I think that for myself, probably for the last uh, five-ish years or so, mm-hmm. I've experienced a lot of anxiety around any kind of new relationship opportunity that comes in. And I would say it probably falls under the flavor of some commitment phobia because What I know about myself is I know that I like to be very invested in my relationships. I like to be very entwined in my relationships. And so when someone comes along expressing interest or attraction, I get really stressed out about, oh God, like maybe I'm interested too and I want to see where this goes, but like, can I show up in the way that I want to for this person? Am I going to have the resources, the time, the energy, especially if I feel like I already have a full plate, if I'm like, I already have two partners and a podcast and a book, you know, all these things, you know? So for me, I think I tend to err on that side of assuming, oh God, if I connect with someone, they're going to want so much of my time and so much of my energy that I'm just going to be a complete disappointment and a failure to them. And so I better not even go there. You know, the reality being that within non-monogamous relationships, of course, the philosophy is we're all here to customize the relationship. The relationship doesn't have to look like this particular model. If you're non-monogamous, it's highly unlikely that you're expecting to have 100% of someone's time and energy, right? Like we're all kind of already bought into that. But I know for myself, I still have those those feelings and those hesitations. I would love to go off on a whole rant about the misuse of the term relationship anarchy, but I'm going to hold on to that for a second because I, I want you, Jason M., to, to weigh in on this question as well. I feel like if you see a person and they are absolutely out there who is interested in non-monogamy but hasn't done the research or been out in the trenches doing it themselves or isn't interested in really doing a lot of the work that's involved in communication and non-monogamy, getting rid of the social scripts and the 
you know, internalized relationships need to look a certain way and I need to do them that way, then then there is the possibility for somebody who is just commitment phobic and wants to like fuck a lot of people. And that's it. But I don't know. I think it is potentially easier in those types of conversations that you can have with someone if you're coming to a new relationship saying, okay, what does non-monogamy mean to you? What is it that you want your relationship to look like? What is it that you're hoping for in a new relationship with me? If you can start with those questions first, then you can kind of weed out the potential commitment phobes or the potential people who just want to have a lot of sex and want to have a lot of fun. And they're out there and that's fine. And maybe that's all that they want their non-monogamy to be. But if you're not a person who wants that, then you can be looking for people who have who have done a little bit more internal work from that standpoint. Well, Jace, it's kind of like what you were saying earlier, how a lot of men maybe get a little bit of this conditioning, this weird contradictory conditioning around, yeah, going out and fucking a bunch of ladies is cool, but also... Uh, you know, you're not necessarily respected by women for that, right? Or it's considered like not a good practice or a respectable practice. So I think that produces sometimes the phenomenon that I've seen of, of you know, just like Tinder fuckboys adopting the word non-monogamy or polyamory sure. to That's try to I'm legitimize. About, to maybe get yes. away from if, it, if you were yes. worried about, I'm only going to be finding those types of people. I definitely right. want to talk about that after for sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's a thing. I yes. actually kind of want to segue into all that a little bit. And I think that an important thing I want to bring up is the, I guess, separating out commitment phobe from not wanting or like wanting certain types of relationships and not others. And so something I, I want to get at there with what you're saying is if what you want is to have a lot of sex with a lot of people. I want to be clear that at least from the multi-amory standpoint and from myself, like there's nothing That's wrong okay. with that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. What I would say is wrong is presenting yourself as if you're trying to have multiple committed non-monogamous relationships when really you just want to have sex and then leave and like not let yourself be vulnerable, not have any commitment. It's the misrepresenting that I think is the problem because if you just want to have sex, there's also other people out there that just want to have sex. And that's great. Like, yes, awesome. Love that. It's so cool. Uh, and so I think it's more about having the, the vulnerability, I guess, to be clear about what it is that you want. And that social messaging makes that hard, right? Because for, for all of us, we're kind of taught that if all you want is sex, you're bad. And that's why I wanted to clarify this, because it's easy to talk yeah. about this in a way that sounds like we're saying that too. And that's not it. It's more the the misrepresenting that can be the issue. Um, and then I guess then to go back to the commitment phobe thing we were talking about is that I, I think that from a lot of what we've been talking about, there's that fear of being vulnerable, right? That it's, it's like you could be non-monogamous and have this fear of letting someone get too close. Um, not because it's like, I can't stand the idea of caring about someone, but it's that like, but I'm going to get hurt or I'm going to feel trapped. But, you know, even if I can sleep with other people, I might still feel trapped of like, gosh, now all my time is taken up and I've got to invest all this time and effort that I just don't have right now into this new relationship. And so I think that 
it's also worth being aware of it that it's like if it's a phobia and that's how it feels to you of like I want to be doing this thing and I feel like I'm too scared to and I can't then yeah that's a problem to get over but if it's I don't have the resources to give to this type of relationship for whatever reason, right? Maybe it's health, maybe it's your job, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your other relationships already. If it's like, I don't have the bandwidth for this, that's also fine to be like, I want casual stuff. And it's not, you know, it's like the difference of, I still, it might look the same on the surface of, yeah, I just want these casual relationships to sleep with. The difference, hopefully, is that you're able to communicate that more clearly of this is why you know, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I have to offer. This is what I'm interested in. If you're interested in something that overlaps with that, super cool. Love that. And if not, that's also cool, right? I'm not going to try to trick you or manipulate you into it. Yeah. And I think as like, again, as somebody who kind of lived really the commitment phobic life, I, I feel like I was pretty ethical about it. The first day I would be like, I don't want to be a girlfriend. <laughs> but <laughs> I feel like in in, you know, sort of these like heteronormative relationships, guys would read that as like, oh, that means this is reverse psychology. She wants me. Yeah. And like they would inevitably <laughs> yeah. ask me out. And I'm like, I yeah. said it right. There's the books beginning. teaching. I don't there's want books to. teaching that exact thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, yeah. But I want to come back to like, because Dedeker's thing, like, you know, firstly, I appreciate you being honest about that. But I'm very curious how you feel, because to me, it doesn't sound like a commitment issue. It sounds like setting boundaries. Because we're still human at the end of the day, even if you have chosen any lifestyle you've chosen, we all have a limitation around our ability and capabilities and how much we can balance in life. And it mm -hmm. just sounds like you're aware enough to know, hey, you know, I have $100. This is the only, this is all I can spend it on. Like, I right. just don't have more than this $100. And, um, yeah. you know... There's this great monk um, named Dandapani, and he talks about that, about like, where are you allotting your energy and where are you spending your energy? If your energy mm -hmm. is $100, where are you spending it? Just sounds like you're more aware that's like, oh, I'm more, I value, maybe I have like $5 of this $100 left and I really value where I'm going to put that $5 because it's like a stock market. <laughs> you know, you'd <laughs> rather invest in an Apple than like it's some rando i don't know you know no i and also i'm very financially conservative so it tracks the the metaphor <laughs> tracks yeah i think if i'm really have to strip down the concept of commitment for myself you know especially when we're thinking about a landscape where monogamy doesn't necessarily equal commitment where many different relationships can take many different forms and still be fulfilling and satisfying for the people in them for me, commitment boils down to, regardless of what shape our relationship takes, if things get difficult, if we hit a snag, if we hit an obstacle, if we hit a disagreement, I'm not just going to run for the hills. Doesn't mean the relationship's going to last. Like maybe we hit an obstacle and we realize, ooh, this, this is not going to be a good relationship for us. This is not going to be feasible for us. And we have to decide to end it, hopefully in a compassionate way. But for me, that's what I think what I try to offer in quote unquote committing to someone and also what I want to get from people who I want to commit to me is that sense of I'm not just going to run away. You're not just going to run away at the first sign of things being difficult. I don't know. It's the kind of thing where where I think 
that should be fairly obvious or plain or a given for relationships, but but it's not necessarily. It's not, especially when we're in the kind of confusing dating landscape of, you know, we're not sure what we want. We're just kind of trying to keep it casual. Like, I don't know if it's worth it to work through this conflict with you. I don't know if it's worth it to be vulnerable with you, you know, and so sometimes it can be hard to suss out. I think this is this is all tied in with the whole kind of ghosting thing or breadcrumbing thing, right? Where it's like rather than even being committed to being vulnerable with you about, actually, I don't want to see you anymore. Like I'd rather just ghost. Like, so, so I think that commitment can scale, right? Where it's even if I have someone who's a fuck buddy, I can at least be committed that I'm going to be honest with you and I'm going to make an effort to work through these things with you instead of just leaving you high and dry. I think that's what that brings up for me. We are going to take a quick break to talk about sponsors for this episode. If you appreciate the show, if you're learning a lot, please take a moment to listen to our sponsors and also to use our special promo codes. It directly helps us to keep this show going. Thank you. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. Yeah, I'm very curious what you guys think because, you know, JC talked about it a little bit, but you guys mentioned that when you first started the podcast, you were one of the only ones. Now, I'm sure there are plenty and it's, you know, non-monogamy and ethical non-monogamy and polyamory and all of that is like, it's much more common term. People have heard it a lot more, open relationships. Do you think that this is um, a fad do you think it's an excuse, like you said, for fuckboys to do their thing? Or is it truly that people are realizing, I think I there are different options? I definitely think it's the latter. I do think a lot of people, so full disclosure, like I was born out of an affair. My dad was married with kids. He met my mom and they had an affair and they had me. And so I think that that was the norm for so long for so many people and it was accepted and it was okay. It sucked. And often the burden came down on the woman to have to like deal with that for many, many years. And the guy 
could go off and do whatever and have multiple affairs throughout the course of his lifetime. But, you know, my partner, his mother was also cheated on. There's so many people out there who that's just the case. And I think now with a lot of women saying, no, I'm not okay with that. And also I'm interested in seeing what multiple partnerships look like as well. And so many women really thriving with that model. I think that so many people who are younger than even we are have decided, hey, I'm interested in moving in that direction and fully understanding the potential of what my life could look like with multiple partnerships, seeing who I can become with multiple people. And so, no, I I really don't think it's a fad. I think that it's very much we'll see it as more and more accepted as time goes on. And the visibility that it has now has created more opportunity for people to understand it and be interested in it. And it's so funny when Emily says, no, it's not a fad. Often I find people listening. Sometimes that can freak them out a little bit. So I feel (laughs) like I need to rush in to say, monogamy is here to stay. Oh, for well. sure. Of <laughs> like, course. You know, like, and it's great like, for a lot of people, for yes, many, many like, people. Like I do not by any means see non-monogamy suddenly becoming the dominant relationship model on a wide scale. But it's probably also not going away as well because we're looking at, you know, the latest statistics show, you know, anywhere from 5 to 10% of people in the U.S. are currently in some form of consensually non-monogamous relationship. of people have indicated that their ideal relationship structure is something other than monogamy, you know, so a minority, but, you know, a sizable minority. And I think I do think that monogamy is still going to be the majority. And I I do think especially monogamous marriage is something that's still so incentivized that that's going to probably be the default relationship type for most people for the foreseeable future. And that's a great thing. You know, we haven't gotten to talk about this yet in this conversation, but something that really drives us on multi-amory is the idea of being able to create more of a landscape where a wide variety of relationship structures coexist. And that maybe sounds a little kumbaya, but, you know, it's like we see it. Like, I think a lot of non-monogamous people are very used to being othered by the mainstream monogamous community. Oh, look at those commitment phobes over there. Look at those sex addicts over there. Just look at those weirdos over there, right? But the same thing we've seen happens on the other side, that in non-monogamous communities, we can be like, look at those toxic monogamous people who can't get over their neuroses. So for us, I think we're very motivated by this idea of different relationship practices don't have to be inherently threatening to each other. Agreed. To me, it's like um, it's like that discussion around religion when everybody's always trying to push theirs. I'm like, I personally believe in God, but I have no issues about anybody who doesn't. I'm like, you could be an atheist and still be a great person. Um, It's just about like, I just don't feel like there's one path to anything. There are multiple roads. And when I I personally don't think I could be non-monogamous, but I, I respect it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, if somebody else is into it, I'm like, totally cool. And I've dated people who later said to me, hey, you know, I was thinking of an open relationship and I was like, I totally support you going on that journey. It's just like, I don't think I could do it, but I think you should. And but then they were like, but I want it with you. And I'm like, that makes it complicated because I wouldn't be authentic to myself. But I think you should. I just think if people are open and honest and uh, like kind of live and let live, like 
who cares? I it makes no difference to me how you guys live and whatever works for you. It shouldn't matter to you what works for me. It's just like, you know, because a lot of it gets driven by ego of us wanting our lifestyle to be right because it justifies us and our way of living. And I'm like, who cares? Maybe you're a hundred totally right and I'm wrong. I don't know. I'll figure it out later and then I'll change my mind. Who cares? (laughs) Well, also to avoid pain, right? Because it's like that comes up in the context between two people, right? Where someone's like, I want an open relationship. And you're like, well, I don't. And we're both incentivized to want to avoid that pain by making ourselves right, you know? So as in what we see with a non-monogamous person, it is the, well, let me try to convince you and persuade you about why this is a good idea or why you shouldn't be attached to monogamy or why, trust me, you're still going to feel okay. And the monogamous person can try to convince the other person why, no, this is horrible and you're being irresponsible and this is awful. I wanted to, this is going to be taking maybe a little bit of a left turn, but this is something the three of us have been talking about recently, uh, talking about dating and dating new people when you're in this position of running a podcast about relationships and dating. Hmm. So for you, Natasha, like, how did you meet your partner? Did your partner know about the podcast? How did you talk to your partner about the podcast? Was that weird at all? I don't even attempt to hide it because uh, sure. I'm like all over on social media. It's everywhere. There's no there's no point. Um, I, I never put it in my profile. But as soon as somebody, you know, saw my Instagram or checked me out, they were immediately like, oh, you have a dating podcast. Uh, Does that mean you're going to be talking about me? And my simplest thing to anybody was always, don't do anything stupid and I won't talk about you. (laughs) (laughs) But I was also like, the podcast is not about me, kind of like your your guys, like, Mm -hmm. it's not about my my day-to-day life. It's about a topic. And I often tell stories to initiate the conversation, but not about me. And anybody I have discussed on the podcast has always had a a nickname, like, a you know, an alias. But my boyfriend, uh, I think the part that was that we had to set boundaries about and and I learned this with a couple of relationships before him was they would start listening to the podcast to support me. But as a result, would get information about me that they hadn't earned or they hadn't Uh. asked me about. And so then they would know more about me than I knew about them, which is, you know, it's nice that they were trying to be supportive. Nobody has ever had an issue that I've talked about sexual experiences or anything like that. There's no judgment. I just wouldn't even date somebody who was like that. Um, So my boyfriend now, like he had heard stuff. And then at some point he himself came to the conclusion, I think I want to learn it from you. And Mm. I was like, I think that's probably best. But I appreciate you supporting me. And if there's a topic or something you really want to listen about because you want to learn, you should. But don't do it as like a research method on me. And that was sort of the only thing. And I do think it makes me a better dater for sure now. Uh, I don't know if you guys feel like that. I feel accountable more than I did, (laughs) you know, where if I talk about something, I'm like, ah, shit, I got to actually do this. So let's fucking talk about it. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. How are you feeling? Even though I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. The power, (laughs) the power of you should know better. I mean, again, (laughs) I think the three of us will be the first to admit we don't always practice what we preach. We make mistakes all the time with communication. We also get angry and fuck up in our relationships and don't make the best choices. But there is definitely something really compelling about having that voice in the back of your mind of being like, I literally just talked about this last week 
I probably should be choosing to communicate in a better way right now. Okay, I guess I'll have to communicate in a better way right now, even though it'd be much easier to not. So yeah, I, I do think that accountability is annoying, but ultimately helpful is the conclusion <laughs> I'll come to. I don't know if you feel differently, Jason M. I think it's necessary and really challenging at times. <laughs> and yeah, I, I I know I feel like a fraud at times when it just isn't, I'm not communicating with my partner as well as I should be. And, you know, those are the moments when I need to stop the conversation, go into a room by myself and really think and really emotionally regulate and really have a moment to stop and understand for myself like what I could be doing better and take accountability for the things that I'm not doing well and then come back to the the conversation when I feel like I can. Yeah, in terms of dating, I haven't done that in a minute. So <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say it's like there's the two pieces to it. It's like on the one hand, I feel like I have so many tools to communicate well when we need to. It's like, oh, I've got all these tools that we've researched or that we've created or whatever for how to have check-ins or how to communicate better. It's like, yeah, great. But then the other piece is the just doing it. And that's the one where it's like, uh, okay, good. I don't want to, but I've got to, you know, that, <laughs> that kind of a thing. So there's, it's like, yeah, on the one hand, I think it's easier because we have a lot of tools and we talk about them a lot, but the other one's still just as hard as it is for anyone, right? If that like, ugh, I don't want to have this talk, but I guess I need to. Oh, the worst thing for me, though, as far as dating people or having these conversations is so our our podcast, we're constantly looking at research. And so then all the time, someone will be like, so this topic, like, what do you feel about it? What do you think about it? And the first thing my brain is like, well, there's this research study at the University of Michigan that says yada, yada, yada. And like, <laughs> I say that all the time. And it, sometimes it turns people off or sometimes people are like, well, how do you really feel about it? And I'm just so used to us doing that, that sometimes it's hard to divorce my brain from that because it's fascinating. Yeah. And also like sometimes I don't know if you guys feel like that. I just want to be human sometimes. So like I mm. fuck up and and I don't want to fix it right away. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm just like, you know, recently we we had a tiff and I, I realized like, oh, I was being probably avoidant where, you know, I should have talked about it right in the beginning. But I was like, I don't want to. I don't fucking want to. And then I just yeah. like didn't until then finally, I, you know, I calm myself down. Emily, I'm kind of like you. I'm like, when I'm ready to talk about it, I'll talk about it. Um, yeah. and, and and I do think there's just an element of like humanity and just being human. And it is fun. I, I, it is fun. I'm just going to use the word fun. It is fun to sometimes just <laughs> get angry and feel things and be on a spectrum of emotions rather than doing everything by the book and being proper. And we know, but sometimes it's okay. <laughs> to just not follow it. But do you guys feel like that with your podcast? The That idea of like when you met people that they know more about you or, or how how is mm -hmm. their feeling toward you been different because of your podcast? Well, I just first wanted to share that I did have a, a situation years ago where I was like trying to communicate something and I'm like, oh, this is hard because like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's awkward. And their response was, wait, but like, you're the expert on this. You know how to do this. And that for me was sort of like, I don't know if I can do this relationship anymore. It's like, I, I can't have you think of me that way. Like, that's not, it's not a healthy start for anyone, right? Like, I don't True. want that power dynamic there or that You're not somebody's teacher of, and like right. the, the counselor for things and like, hey, always a fixer upper. 
And so I think that's something that's really changed for us as our podcast has become, just as it's become bigger and more people know about it and it's much more established is it went from this like, yeah, this is a, a cool, attractive thing about me that I do this podcast to, if you listen to this show, like I kind of, kind of feel like maybe we shouldn't because there's kind of these weird dynamics built in. It's like, if you listen to it after we start dating, or if you maybe have listened to a couple episodes, sure. But if you're like an avid listener of it, it's just so hard to come back from that vast disparity in like perception of being an expert of like, even if I'm not teaching you stuff on a day-to-day -day basis, I am on the show. Mm -hmm. And so there's still that dynamic in our relationship, even if we're not doing it in person. And then also just like you said, like, you know, all these things that I've shared, or at least you have an impression of what you think I am based on what we talk about on the show that you didn't learn from me. And it's not actually based on your experience of me. And it's just, it's a real complicated knot to untangle. And so it's for, for myself. And I think for Dedeker as well has kind of led to this, like, I just kind of want to try to stay away from dating someone who's an active listener of the show. Well, and Natasha, I actually really appreciate talking about this with you because I really appreciate that turn of phrase you used about, oh, they're getting information about me that they didn't earn. And maybe mm. it's a little weird to think about who, like, how do you earn that information or not? But I think that was really clarifying for me that it's almost like wanting to connect with someone on, I don't know, is it on my own terms? Is it wanting to control? I'm not sure what it is. But yeah, it's it's kind of like I want to build a relationship with someone who first has met me for me, as opposed to meeting me through this persona that they've perceived of me. Again, it doesn't mean that like it has to be you've never heard of the podcast or you've never listened to any episodes, but but it, it is. There's something about being able to build a connection, even if it's just friendship, because we've we've all three of us have gone on to build friendships with people who have listened to the show. And it feels a little bit different because it's like, oh, I've gotten to have interactions with you outside of you just listening to my show where we've gotten to know each other. We've gotten to share vulnerable stories. I've gotten to talk more about my flaws. You've gotten to have a more fully fleshed out picture of me as a human being, which means I feel like I can trust your connection to me a little bit more. I can trust, oh, you're actually wanting to connect with me, seeing me, warts and all, as opposed to just seeing like the glossy veneer of what's on the show. I say glossy veneer as though we make ourselves sound like badasses on the show, which we don't really do either, but you know what I mean. So yeah, I, that that helps. This has been a topic we've been talking about a lot because we always tell the joke that when we started the podcast, we thought we'd be expanding our dating pool of like finding more cool non-monogamous people to date. We've actually shrunk our dating pool ironically. But I think it comes down at the end of the day to what intimacy is, right? It, maybe earning is a strong word, but it is kind of that, that like when you meet somebody, everybody's on one playing field, right? On a date. And then uh, they have, somebody has done something to move themselves up uh, in that pool. And so then, and then, so you give them a little bit more, and, you know, then either they've showed up for you in whatever way you want that they earn a little bit more and then they get and it's vice versa, too. We're doing the same thing for somebody else. If nobody's just and somebody who is just giving out information about themselves and all their secrets and whatever their life experiences for no reason, just want to be heard. And that's not a relationship. Mm -hmm. If you're doing it to to truly connect with somebody on an intimate level, it has a different meaning to it. So we're connecting with our audience because they have showed up for us every time. And so we give a piece of ourselves to them a little bit more. 
And and a lot of time, I'm sure you guys get it back too from them when they tell you something oh, yeah. and then you give. And, yeah. But and if it's a relationship where somebody has just listened in and is just taking and they don't want to offer anything back in return, then yeah, it does feel, you, you do feel a little bit more like exposed and like that, that dynamic of information is like that scale feels a little off to right. me. It's like wanting a sense that like we've built intimacy together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you want to feel like you are, you're on the same page about it, right? You don't you don't want to just otherwise it's just like love bombing. I don't know. It's just like giving right. everything and the other person <laughs> right. just you know you don't want that. Uh, to kind of come back to this communicating our commitment issues slash not in the same vein, but if you want to explore non monogamy or alternative relationship structures, um, what are some of your guys' tips like? of approaching that conversation with your partners. And what about like, you know, the example I gave you with my situation where I was with somebody for five and a half months and then they came up and they were, you know, first suddenly being weird. And then their thing was like, well, I, you know, I think I want to be in an open relationship. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You should probably not with me, but you should. Um, And then it was like, no, but I want it with you. And and then I also asked, I was like, well, what is the, what, what is sort of your reason behind it? Like, I didn't know you felt this way. And I thought we talked about that in the beginning, but like, what, what are you feeling? And it was like, well, what if I want to go for lunch with somebody else uh, who is a girl? And I was like, so go for lunch with somebody else, a girl? I don't, I don't understand what <laughs> the, you know, and I was like, well, I guess if you want to fuck them, then you, you should probably just let me know. <laughs> you know, um, that's a different thing. But I, I don't I didn't understand the question at first. So what happens in like those kinds of situations where somebody does want something, but another person is like, hey, that's not what I signed up for. Sure. Well, I mean, this happens all the time. Right. And I think having this conversation at the very beginning of a relationship and meeting someone is different from having this conversation when we've been together for 10 years monogamously is different from I'm single and on a dating app and trying and know I want to be non-monogamous and trying to figure out how do I communicate that to people. So those all have their own nuances and differences. But something that I often come back to with having this conversation is sometimes even before bringing it up to a partner, it can be helpful to do some of that exploratory work around okay, when I say I want an open relationship, what am I actually wanting to get? What's underneath that term for me? You know, is is it like that person said, I want to sometimes be able to get lunch with someone of the opposite sex and like maybe flirt with them or have the option to have sex with them? Is it there's something kinky that I've always wanted to explore and I want to explore it in a way that involves, you know, joining a kink community and playing with multiple people? Is it there's a part of my sexuality that I've never gotten to bring to the surface and I want to explore that? Or, or is it, I don't know, I saw a news story about this thruple raising a baby and I thought the idea of co-parenting with multiple partners sounds great. You know, so like getting really down to what's actually drawing you to it and being able to use that as a basis of talking about things because, I don't know, you know, sometimes what it is that you're wanting can be found in not just non-monogamy, but in many other relationship practices as well. So again, that's not necessarily something that's like, I want to say, oh yeah, in all situations, bringing that to the conversation is going to make it go 100% great. But I do think some of that pre-work 
to get clear on actually what does draw me to this and excite me about this? Or is it I'm just afraid of monogamy? You know, like getting clear on that helps. I think like the situation that you were in, if you are the person coming to an already established partner and saying, I want to open up, there is always that possibility that that person is going to say no. And that is just a a reality, I think, of coming to someone and changing the dynamic that you already have established. So that's a challenge. For me and Jace, obviously, we kind of came to a meeting of the minds together, which was unique, I think, but also really fantastic for us because we were able to go on that journey kind of at the same time and do it together. And we did have a moment like three months after the fact where I wanted to close it back up because I said, I'm not actually really ready for this. And I would rather us be monogamous for a little while again. And it wasn't until I realized, hey, I actually am interested in this person from my past and I want to go and sleep with this person and see what that's like that I said to Jace, yeah, actually, I'm I'm into the idea again and let's actually try this for real. So it is really helpful, of course, if both people can find an established why together. And sometimes that happens through reading of books, through actually going on dating apps and finding, you know, I'm interested in that person. That person looks fun and exciting to me. There's a lot of ways that people can approach it for sure. Yeah, I I just wanted to say as far as the the doing that research and the preparation, it's like I think getting clear on your own motivations is good, but I would encourage people to not get too attached to it looking a particular way. It's like there's a difference between understanding like what is it that I'm seeking or what is it that I feel like I'm lacking or something like that compared to, and I think this is the solution. Because if you're trying to do this with a partner, you're going to have to collaborate on that solution. And sure, there's a possibility that there's just no solving it, that you just realize you're actually not compatible because of this fundamental difference in how you want to do relationships. Yeah, that's possible. But there also might be, kind of as we've been teasing, some other ways this could look, right? That that this might not have to be, oh, well, I, I figured it out and our vision is, uh, you know, we need to meet um, a third and they're going to come live with us and raise our kids <laughs> with us. And the other partner's like, what the fuck are you talking about, right? Like, <laughs> holy shit. And, and now you're attached to this one vision and I can't get on board because I don't want that. Whereas if it came from, well, really what I want is like, threesome sound fun. I'd like to do that more often. It's very possible, or at least more likely, your partner's like, okay, sure, I could get on board with maybe trying that as a starting point rather than jumping to and we want someone to move in with us and live with us or something, yeah. right? I mean, I've I've thought, look, I've thought about it. I've asked myself, like, truly, like, you have to ask yourself those questions. And I know, like, I'm not the most, you know, I, I feel like I'm emotionally intelligent, but I'm not perfect. And I'm not going to act like I'm some highly evolved being that would be totally fine with this. I'm like, I don't like sharing. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I just and know that's great that, that I, you know that I just about know yourself. that about me. Yeah. But that said, I still have like I'm very open with other things like, you know, my boyfriend, and I talk about it where even with others, I say I'm fine if somebody flirts. It's mm-hmm. human. It's mm-hmm. human to be attracted to others. It's human to want to flirt with them. Just don't do it in front of me. I don't want to see it happening. But like, yeah, if in your regular life, like you meet people, you take meetings, like 
my boyfriend's a good looking guy. Like, of course it's going to happen. Um, and I'm, it's inevitable. We live in L.A. You're going to meet some like attractive person um, and you're going to want to flirt. But just like know your boundaries, know to be respectful. And the the same works vice versa for me. So like I'm open to the humanity of it all, but I also just like sort of know my limitations around it. And could that change? Maybe, but I just didn't at the time. Yeah. Well, I think that to go back to one of your earlier questions about, you know, is non-monogamy here to stay or is it a fad? I think that the the real trend underneath it all is people opening up the idea of what's possible and what their relationships could look like. Right. If you think about just during our lifetimes, how much that's already changed in terms of yeah. same-sex marriages and relationships and how much more commonplace that is now than it was like when you if you watch uh, Rent the musical it's like so much of that musical is just sort of like oh really people are like like it's it's like already super dated and that's not that old of a musical right just the whole concept that like the waiter at the restaurant would be weird about you having a same-sex relationship I'm like whatever I guess maybe if you're like deep out in the boonies in Texas somewhere, but like, you know, it's so it's that weird. It was 20 years, 20 but, but years that's I mean. before the same sex marriage was even legal. But that's so, my point yeah. is that it's only 20 years. It's true. Right? It's, true. it's only 20 years. Right. During our lifetimes, we've seen this huge amount of change. And so to go back to what you were saying, Natasha, it's like, yeah, you could flirt. Don't do it in front of me. It's very possible there's another couple that's like, I want you to flirt in front of me. 100%. I don't want you to sleep with them, but ooh, I want to get off on them flirting with you and knowing they can't have you. Or it's that I, I want to watch you have sex with them or right. Mm -hmm. Or I want people to watch us have sex or whatever. Right. There's so many options. And I think that's the part that's I my dream is that it's like, yeah, we have a lot of options. We're not just defaulting to this one way of doing it. And either you're successful at it or it sucks. But it's like, oh, we get to build our own thing. We get to customize how we want to do this rather than just focusing on is it this thing or this other thing? A hundred percent. There are so many options and lifestyles. I like I love it. I'm just like, that's great. I hope people don't feel stuck now because there are really people who are into everything. <laughs> um, and there's an app for everything. And uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I love it. I mean, even with, between my friends, some of my friends go to sex clubs and they have such different approaches even to that experience, sure. like where yeah. you, you think anybody who walks into it must all be open to the same thing. And they're not. Everyone's mm -hmm. like super different about how they approach it, what they want done to them, what they don't want done to them. Some people just like to watch. Some people like to partake. Some people yeah. like I have one of my friends, he just likes standing at the bar and he's not being a creeper either. But he's also <laughs> like, I just I'm cool just being around the environment. But like not yeah. partaking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. The mm -hmm. same same is true at swingers clubs and resorts mm -hmm. and at non-monogamy mixers and events like you can't assume everyone wants the same thing. Yeah. Totally. Well, this has been such a fascinating conversation, guys. Uh, I, I'm so glad I got to meet Jason Emily and it's so great yeah, seeing uh, you again, Dedeker. Yeah. This was so good. So, Natasha, could you share with our listeners where they can find more about you and your work in the podcast? Yeah, you can find everything about me at natashachandale.com or we're kind of dating, K-I-N-D-A, kind of dating across the board. We're on all the podcast platforms. Wow, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Natasha. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun to talk to uh, such experienced folks and it was super fun. <laughs>
We hope you enjoyed that fun crossover episode with Natasha. And Natasha's version of this episode is coming out this week as well. So definitely go check that out. And our question of the week, which is going to be on our Instagram stories, is how does commitment look different in non-monogamy versus monogamy? Very interested to see people's answers to that one. And if you want to get more of us, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is in this episode discussion channel, in our Discord server, or you can post in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. <laughs>